1: Back here with Emily and Nathan, we're still in the book of Judges. We were just covering... uh Abimelech. Abimelech, yes. That's his name. <laughs> well, what's funny is I just was skimming some stuff and I saw the name Jerubable and I'm like, no, it's the other one. So...
0: Yeah, um, it'd be easier if they were named, you know, Sam and George and...
1: I'd still get them mixed up. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's not an issue. I actually, I called a teacher by another teacher's name. No, I called another... Yeah. I was... Call, the other day at work, I was talking to a teacher, and I called another teacher the name of the teacher I was talking to. And I've worked with these people for like two years, so
0: we can blame that on genetics, though, because I, I don't think our mother has ever called one of us by our proper name on the first try yeah, in her I, entire life. I just so
1: <laughs> so if if we get some confusion with the names, sorry, we're we're doing the best we can. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, well, we left. Uh, Abimelech. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we didn't really even leave Abimelech, did we? We left with uh, his brother talking well, about... Uh,
0: ga- yeah, Jotham. Yeah,
1: Jotham mm-hmm. uh, confronting the guys at Shechem. So,
0: Yeah, he confronted the leaders of Shechem. And um, then the Bible tells us that God sends this evil spirit. And we talked about how that's not a morally bad spirit, that this is not some kind of... Um, wicked entity in and of itself but that its purpose and the reason why it's called an evil spirit is that it's to inflict harm on Abimelech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this the spirit comes in and he stirs up the leaders of Shechem against Abimelech. Right. And so now we're going to see how this kind of plays out and what happens between the leaders of Shechem and Abimelech and his troops because he still has some men who are loyal to him but Everything's kind of starting to fall apart at this point. So um, we're going to pick up in verse 26. And we, we have this guy, his name is Gael, son of Ebed. We, we have no idea who he is. He just kind of appears out of nowhere. And his name is kind of interesting because it literally means to loathe. Uh, You know, not a real positive name. Yeah. You kind of have to wonder what his parents were thinking there.
1: How many kids did they have already? (laughs) I mean. Yeah. Who knows?
0: (laughs) Another mouth to feed, Uh, which actually that wasn't an uncommon It it wouldn't
1: surprise me for the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, um, you know, we kind of joke, but it was actually realistic. But what makes this name even more interesting is it's a play on words. the, the vowels, if you kind of tweak them just a little bit, it's almost goel, which is our word for kinsman-redeemer. Okay. And so, the, you know, we find that in the Book of Ruth and then also Jesus being our, our kinsman-redeemer. Mm-hmm. and
1: Which kind of, I mean, which kind of leads me to believe it was a, if this was a historical figure, that his name was, was altered in the text afterward. Well, it uh, well, we and, and, was... Well, and, and the other thing, I mean, well, you're talking about the play on words and means to loathe and being the kinsman redeemer and things like that. I don't know if this is where you're going with this, but, you know, you kind of have that idea of the, you know, he became sin, uh, you know, <laughs> and he was, you
0: know. <laughs> actually, I hadn't thought about that, but. Um,
1: you, you know, Christ becoming sin, becoming, would have been loathed by God in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, thought, I didn't know if that was a connection that, that actually exists or if I'm just making stuff up.
0: Well, I, I hadn't put those pieces together. Uh, I was actually, I, I think it's a good point, and there might be something there to play with. Uh, we'll have to do some research into that. Maybe come back to it in the, uh, the wrap-up wrap episode. Yeah. yeah, but we we do know that the writer of Judges loves these little play on words. We already saw that with Eglon, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fatted calf, right, and how he became the sacrifice. So it wouldn't surprise me that the the writer of Judges is playing kind of fast and loose with the names to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and obviously he's smart enough to do that. We've already seen the writing is phenomenal with all the foreshadowing and the, the little uh, literary devices he uses mm-hmm. that. And so, uh, and I'm saying he, cause we don't know who wrote it. Um, I think we mentioned that before, but for those who may not remember, it's traditionally believed that Samuel wrote this book, but most scholars don't agree with that anymore. So we're kind of at a loss as to who to attribute the writing to. Sure. So um, Gael arrives with his um, brothers at Shechem. And it's funny because the Bible gives us some very specific things they're there to do. They're there to make wine. They're there to have a feast in the temple of their God. Their God's unidentified, so we don't know who it is. And to curse Abimelech. Uh, This is... Why they're getting together? So it sounds very much like a political rally to me. And <laughs> I mean, we're we're all going to get together and we're going to trash talk leadership. So
1: it's, we're going to move into town and do a lot of drinking. Kind of, we're recording on game day, so that's the image I have in my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, you just
0: fought game day traffic. Game
1: day traffic. Yeah. So you know, if anyone lives in a college town and you know, uh, you know how if, with a with a major football team such as Norman. Uh, you know, apparently OU football is a big deal around here. Um, <laughs> I say that in jest, but, uh, I'm not a big football fan personally, but man, when, when people come into town, it's like they just take over mm-hmm. and, and it, it, and it helps the, the local businesses and stuff. So I'm fine with it, whatever, you know, but man, if you try to get around on game day, forget it, just, yeah, <laughs> just stay away from downtown or campus or, Actually, most of the roads in town. sorry, I, I digress
0: <laughs> things that drive us crazy, um but yeah, so because we've got this guy who who has really no history uh, coming into this uh, story, we kind of begin to build some um some contrast with Abimelech because Abimelech had been identified. Uh, he was, you know, like we said earlier in the last episode. He was one of the few sons actually named, one of the few sons of Gideon that actually was identified. And, you know, he really traded on his mother's connections with Shechem uh, to build his army. And this guy, uh, Gael, he's kind of banking on the fact that Abimelech's loyalties are divided. Um, He believed he had a right to be a king because he was Gideon's son, the son of an Israelite. But then he, he... got his support from the Shechemites to to fund his campaign. Mm-hmm. And so Gael's kind of counting on people saying, hey, he has divided loyalty here. He's not true to any one camp. And so Gael sets him, himself up as being a true Shechemite. And in verse 28, he even says, serve the man of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him, Abimelech? So he, he's making the people really examine were you following someone who really is one of us or are you following an imposter? Right. And now Hamor, we, we need to kind of stop and remember who he was. He shows up in Genesis 34 and that's as the father of the Prince of Shechem, okay. the one who raped Dina. Okay, yep. He's identified as a Hittite And, you know, the Hittites were part of that tribes, uh, that list of tribes in Deuteronomy that were supposed to be driven out of Canaan. Uh, They're they're descendants of the Rephaim, of the Nephilim. So they have ties right back to the Watchers. Um, We're we're starting to get hints at that connection to rape. Rape is a really huge part of Judges. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got Sisera's mother who, you know, she was rejoicing over the fact that her son is a rapist. and now he's telling, Gael's telling his men, you need to be loyal to men who are known rapists. Huh. And we've got this foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the second half of the book, where rape becomes the central theme. Right. And we're we're seeing this decline in the people of Canaan. And, you know... What, we, what we're really being pushed to acknowledge throughout the book is nations who are associated with the descendants of the Rephaim and the Nephilim. They have this really strong propensity towards violence towards women. Mm-hmm. And we don't see that in Israel because, I mean, remember, you go back to, to uh, Caleb's daughter who asked for a gift in chapter one, and then you've got Deborah, and she's calling for armies. Mm-hmm. The women of Israel are respected. Uh, the women who belong to these other nations they're not right so right. Um, there's just a little hint there and what well, and, I,
1: and i think it's interesting too that i'm sorry mm-hmm, i'm going to interject here but i think it's extremely interesting that you have this the 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 this setup is like the 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 worst evil you can do mm-hmm. is set up as 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 rape Yes. I mean, and you counter that against like Israel. And I do find that interesting that, you know, it really it's contrary to the popular message that the Bible is anti-woman. Right. And the, especially when you set it up that it's like this is the worst, you know, this is the worst of the worst. Yeah. and it, And it goes back to was it Genesis six with, with the, uh, with the watchers.
0: Exactly. And this whole progression of stories, as you go through it, it becomes very evident. And I did not realize until we started this this study that this whole book is really setting up this idea that violence towards women is unacceptable in God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be very important by the time we get to the gospels. And we're going to get into that. So I don't want to you know, get too far ahead of myself because that's very fascinating. Um, but Abimelech's advisors, uh, his name is Zebul. He goes and tells Abimelech that basically, hey, there's this young upstart ruffian who's trying to stir up trouble and you need to do something about it. And so by the time Gael enters Shechem, he's surrounded by Abimelech's troops, and. Abimelech—it's a kind of interesting story. We're not going to take time to read it, but it kind of reminded me of Gideon's fight with the guys coming down off the hills mm-hmm. into the valley. And it's kind of that same uh, st- strategy that's being used, sure. and he surrounds Gail's men and attacks them. But the writer of Judges inserts this really interesting little tidbit in verse twenty, in verse thirty-seven. It says they come down from the diviner's oak. Uh, Some translations say the soothsayer's oak, and there's not a lot of commentary or anything known about this particular tree. All we really know about it is that the title lets us know that this is used for occult activity, uh, possibly uh, communing with um, ancestral spirits, uh, that receiving messages from the dead, and... This gives us a little tip off to Abimelech's allegiances that he is he really is following the the religion and the ideology of the Hittites. He is not faithful to the god of Israel in any sense of the the word.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know and I find it interesting and I'm going to back, be backtracking yeah, here a little bit, but I find it, it it's really interesting to me that you you kind of see that idolatry thing starting with Gideon when he sets Mm -hmm. up the ephod because I've, I've been really curious about that because it says that he set up the ephod and the people hoard after the ephod. Mm -hmm. And then it says, but then after Gideon died, they went after (laughs) like other gods. And it's like, well, weren't they already not doing what Yahweh said? So I, I don't get, well, I, that that just, that whole thing just, it's, it's confusing.
0: But there, there is this, um, there, there's this cycle that kind of goes on in the Bible that even if at like a king or a leader is faithful to God in their younger years, God still honors and protects the, the people because of the man's faithfulness in his early life, even when they fall away later. Mm-hmm. There's still consequences, but they almost have to do something very egregious for God to remove that protection that was quote unquote, and I'm using this very loosely, no letters on this one the the protection that was earned mm-hmm. through the faithfulness at the beginning and you know it wasn't actually earned guys I understand that so uh, God was not obligated to to right. uphold right. His end of the bargain so to speak but God does in His grace and mercy okay As, I mean
1: I I, I can kind of see that I'm that's something I, I'm curious about but maybe we'll do some more looking at that later yeah I just it just seems it seems, uh, it seems contradictory. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two things. So.
0: It, it it does, but I I think if we got over into kings and into chronicles, we we would kind of see how God is, and God's amazing. Well, even um, oh, I'm thinking of a of an example, and I can't remember all of it, so I'm going to skip it. But if, when we get there, we'll have to talk more about it because okay. I think it, it's it's interesting that God is always gracious and. I think we need to remember that, that he is gracious right up to the point that to allow somebody, whether it's a person or a nation, to continue in sin, it's going to cause more damage than good. Yeah. And so that's, that's also very much a part of the, the, the narrative of the Bible. So um, you know, coming down from the diviner's oak also, I think, kind of helps explain one of the, the actions that takes place because, um basically when when Abimelech attacks shechem, he he destroys it. He destroys the entire town. but the the last act that he does is well he sows the fields with salt. And I think most of us are familiar with that from mm-hmm. Carthage,, yeah. and the Punic Wars. and now, because we know that, and that's kind of a familiar um, story for those of us who like history, we might be tended, you have this tendency to impose what happened there as the reasoning for what's happening here in the scripture. But the problem is future events do not impact past events. Right. So we can't read it backwards. We need to start here. Sure. Okay. Now, a uh, quick little side note: most historians now believe that that entire story about Carthage was made up, and that it's actually based on judges. Interesting. Yeah, I, I thought I thought that was kind of crazy.
1: So, uh, real quick, I wanted mm-hmm. to pull this out because okay. uh, you were talking about the different ways they interpret the the diviner's oak. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the in the Hebrew Study Bible, uh-huh. it they don't uh, translate it. Uh, they translate. I assume they transliterate it here. It's Elon Elon Mia. Nen something, <laughs> yeah. But here it, it says it translates as the navel of the earth.
0: Oh no, that's interesting. Which
1: um, is kind of interesting, and it says uh, it's a road named for the sacred Terebinth, which was adjacent to it, where necromancers were evidently active.
0: Okay, so so
1: I mean, I, I, it mm-hmm. it kind of comes back to a similar yeah. idea of, of the oak being used for for pagan practice, but I. Found that to be really interesting that the, the name of, the of it Earth. is the Navel of the Earth.
0: Huh. That would bear some some further inspection because yeah. I I haven't studied that part. I, I didn't come across. I need to get me the updated version uh, of this. I guess so,
1: because <laughs> uh, this is it's pretty interesting. And then I just happened to flip through it while we were on the air. So right. I mean, I'm not like... I, this, I didn't intend to spring that on you. I just was really surprised when I saw it.
0: Yeah. I, by the way, for those of y'all who can't see, this is the Jewish Study Bible with commentary. Yeah. Second and, edition. Yeah. Uh, Oxford Press. It, it's great. Um, yeah. And
1: they're not terribly expensive either. No,
0: no. I think it's under $30. And as far as Bibles go, that's that's a great price. And yeah. you can get it on Amazon. And just remember, it stops at Malachi. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I, I think... St- Tools like that that give us a, a Jewish perspective on a Jewish text come in useful. Uh, we may not agree with all of the uh, interpretations and conclusions, but it's still something that we can value. Right. So, um, so we got this problem with, with the sowing the, the ground with the salt because our popular perception, this is supposed to make it unfit for cultivation. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that he's destroying the land. But is that correct? I, I think one of the things we have to do is we have to go back to rule number one, scripture interprets scripture. Sure. So um, Deuteronomy 29, and this is speaking of the land that God has cursed due to the worshiping of other gods. And I'm just going to read verse 22 and 23. It says, see the afflictions of that land and the sickness, which the Lord has made it, has made it sick. The whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown, nothing growing, where no plant can sprout and overthrow like Sodom and Gomorrah, Adama and Zeboim, which God overthrew in his anger and wrath. And so verse 26, when am skip down, and went and served, and you're talking about the people, served other gods and worshiped them, gods they had not known and whom God had not allotted them. So, we're right back to the divine council worldview uh, being mm-hmm. tied in with the cursing of the land, salt being a part of that. Psalms 107 34, Jeremiah 17 6, Zephaniah 2 9 all connect salted land with divine cursing and judgment. So, in, in okay. Judaism, very much the idea that salted land is cursed. Right. Now, There's a problem with this, and I'm bringing this up because this is kind of how I work through um, a passage that's difficult. Rule number one, scripture interpret scripture. Rule Mm -hmm. number two, context, context, context. Sure. Literary, historical, cultural. Now, culturally, Abimelech is not an Israelite. He is a Hittite. And so we need to go back and look at that culture and his history as a Hittite, Mm -hmm. not Jewish culture, so I can say here's what the Bible says. But if Abimelech is not following that, it doesn't do me any good. Okay. So now, what we do have is several Hittite, Akkadian, and Assyrian texts that describe ceremonies where conquered lands are sown with salt and some other yet to be identified substance.
2: Okay.
0: Now, the texts speak of how these wars were fought on behalf of these gods, and the sowing of the earth was a dedication of the land back to these foreign oh, gods. Okay. okay. So, what I found to be kind of interesting is if you compare and contrast what the Bible has to say and what the Akkadian and Hittite and Assyrian texts have to say, now you're really seeing that this is the war between the gods, and this is Abimelech trying to reclaim Israel for his gods, but it's also God saying, go ahead, do it, because you're actually fulfilling my purpose. Okay. And my purpose is that I'm going to be glorified. Right, And I, I, I get excited when I see that, because you see God being brilliant and, and is strategically, militarily brilliant in ways that I don't think we often think about God acting in our modern culture. Right. Because you know, we're all about nice, fluffy, fuzzy God, mm-hmm. and so he—he so he is. I think if we look at Abimelech, he's following a Hittite custom. I, I think that's where we have to come down on that, is because that is part of his his heritage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but thank God, like I said, he just flips it around because this is what he what he does. Mm-hmm. So. When all of this is happening, the, the Baals of Shechem, um, we talked about how the the leaders of Shechem are called by that title uh, after the name of their god. Right. Um, they go to a tower and now we really aren't certain about how Shechem is laid out as a city uh, where this tower was in particular.
1: But they have a tower and it's large.
0: They have a tower. It might be a defensive tower. There's a possibility that it was used in worship. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, Abimelech commands his men, this is verse 46 of 49. He commands his men to go and get branches out of the woods and bring in put against the tower and set it on fire. And the um the people are actually they're in the tower, but they're in a place that is often translated as a stronghold. Mm-hmm. This word we really don't have used very much. It's one other time, it's in 1 Samuel 13, 6, yeah. and it's in a list. And that list um, includes caves, rocks, tombs, and cisterns. So we think that this is kind of referring maybe to like a basement. So it was kind of underground. Mm-hmm. And so the people are hiding underground. This is an important little um, little fact here that's going to make sense why, why it's included. Okay. And so the people are hiding and he sets the, the tower on fire. So Jotham's words are happening. You know, fire is supposed to come out of the bramble. Fire mm. is literally coming out of the bramble. And then after he, Abimelech burns his tower in Shechem, he goes to Thebes, another city. We don't know why. We don't even, we don't know where the city is. We, it just, he randomly attacks the next town.
1: I mean, my speculation whether it would be from where uh, Gaal or Gael came from. It could be. But that's just speculation. But that's just the first thing to come to mind is that maybe he was, you know, I'm going to take out you and your whole family.
0: And that would be very much in keeping with the ancient mindset.
1: And Abimelech.
0: And Abimelech. And Gideon's,
1: you know. <laughs> <that> he-
0: Precisely. <laughs> so- well, and even this is kind of a recreation because remember with Gideon, when he won that first battle in the valley he goes and does the same thing in another city. Mm-hmm. And so Abimelech's doing exactly the same thing. And as a matter of fact, the people do the same thing. They run to a tower.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, but this time, instead of going into that basement area, they go to the roof. And so we, we have a reversal again. Yep. And a certain woman, this is verses 53 through 54, she throws a millstone, an upper millstone down from the tower and it crushes a Bimelech skull. So now I tried to look up how heavy a millstone was. These things, they're pretty heavy. It, it, yeah. And it, it varies. It can be anywhere from like four pounds to 40 pounds and up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're huge. Now, this one probably was not a giant one because it's on the roof of a tower. Sure. Yeah. You and, don't
1: really carry big millstones that far up.
0: Yeah. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it was evidently she was still a, a very stout woman to be able to do this. Uh, well, I, d-
1: I mean, even I mean, even if you're dropping like a, a 10 pound rock off the top of a tower onto someone's head that's gonna damage them
0: Uh, yeah not not as much as the old myth about the penny from the empire state building but right right. uh, yeah but i but everything starts to come unraveled in these verses because you know abimelech had seized control on the basis of an unnamed woman Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: now we have an unnamed woman undoing his control right um right. he had ruled by virtue of his strength and brutality, his manliness, if you will.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And again, killed by a woman. Uh, you know, he he was dependent on his military might to, to destroy Shechem. Mm-hmm. And here's this woman without a military destroying him. And you know, we have these echoes of JL in, in this yep. story all over again. Because we have
1: the crushed his head.
0: We have the crushed his head, the woman, and we're seeing how women. Well, and you also
1: have another, I'm sorry, another mm-hmm. element of provision and domesticity, the mm-hmm. millstone. Uh, Precisely. For, for providing food and life. So,
0: yeah. 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 And that's it. I mean, it's all coming together that there's this theme of women being the ones who are the instruments to deliver judgment mm-hmm. on evil leadership. Right, and so we talked a lot about that with Dale, but we're still seeing it continue, which is only fitting in a society where the evil that's being condemned by God is violence against women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I'm actually the more I study judges, the more excited I get about what it has to reveal.
1: <laughs> is there is there any tie to that? Do you think? Um, in uh, I'm putting you on the spot. Probably <laughs> okay. is there any tie to that between um, that and like the Maronite? um, belief that, that Mary will be the, the one to judge, uh, the world.
0: Oh, you're, you're.
1: Now I'm getting out there with
0: you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause (laughs) now you're talking theology, um, and you're talking new Testament theology. Right. Right.
1: right. Well, I I was just curious about that because I mean, I've, I've, and I, and I know very little about that. I've just heard that mentioned in passing (laughs) that there is a a branch of, of Catholicism, uh, that believes that, that Mary is going to be the one to judge the world. Um, and bring destruction i, I could see um,
0: where it could have roots back to something like this and,
1: and i don't know how large that branch is right. but i was just curious if if these ideas of the the woman crushing heads mm-hmm. uh, would play into that kind of theology so i just a, a question and a speculation so i'm not, right. I'm not saying that there's well, a solid connection
0: there. I'm just, yeah, and but the, I mean, there is a very much a a connection with women and crushing heads, as we we talked about previously. We go back to Genesis three, um, the serpent. will, you know, he'll you'll bruise his heel. He'll crush your head. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Psalm sixty eight. Um, this whole song about women crushing heads. Uh, there, there is definite connection with that, and the idea that women who have been abused. Since, you know, Genesis six and taken advantage of since Genesis Mm three, we're going to rise up and we're, we're part of the the judgment process. And I do think that is embodied most specifically in Mary, uh, being the one who gives birth to the one who will judge the world. Right. Right. And the birth of
1: Christ more than anything. Precisely.
0: yeah. Yeah. So I and it's it's fascinating when you see how God has woven all of history together to bring these events into play, and He's done it with this cooperation and despite of and the willingness and you know the unwillingness of some mm-hmm. uh, of in humanity to to accomplish this and that gets me excited because um, it, it gives me hope if God can weave all these strands of history together. To get Christ here the first time, mm-hmm. what's He doing in my life now for the second time? Right, and I'm a part of that tapestry. You're a part of that tapestry, and it, it, all the threads are important. So, I, I don't know. It just, I think that's cool. And the more I think about it, it, it you can get lost in that. So, yeah. So,
1: yeah. That that <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's just kind of a, an interesting thing because I, I hadn't noticed how often this theme of <laughs> right. heads getting crushed by women. It okay. Curse.
0: So you know, I'm like the last person to scream about the patriarchy because that just drives me up nuts. But um, you know, I do think some of this comes from the fact that you know, male commentators. The, I can see how this would be something they don't want to dwell on. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily something they don't want to dwell on. I think it's more or less just something that's like that they just don't it, notice. It's not, not on their radar. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's just how it is. I mean, and I don't, I'm not trying to say it's right, but I just think it's, I don't think it's malicious. Well, that's why
0: I was getting ready to say it's not malicious. Exactly that word. I think it's just not something that, you know, as a woman for me, it stands out uh, because I want to know how I fit into God's plan as a woman, mm -hmm. particularly coming from a very complimentary background. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are issues that I had to wrestle with when even I went to seminary, whether I was right to do so or not. And, you know, our value as women, what is that? And, you know, I think we're going to wind up in the wrap up episode talking about some of these issues, uh, women leadership and so on. But I, I want to address that separately from the text because the text isn't really talking about that issue. The, right. the, the text is talking about justice and the text is talking about what happens when a society starts to engage in violence against women mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how that's not part of God's plan. So Abimelech, he's, you know, he recognizes very much that this is not good. This is humiliating. So in verse 54, he actually calls for his armor bearer to run him through with a um, sword so that it could be, wouldn't be said that a woman had killed him. Right. And, you know, this is very reminiscent of Saul's death in first Samuel 31. Uh, there, it's not a woman, it, it's the Philistines mm-hmm. and Saul doesn't want anyone to say the Philistines killed him. There's a lot of connections with Abimelech and Saul.
1: Mm, Um, I can see that. Yeah. yeah, Well,
0: we've got the evil spirit. We've got Saul Mm -hmm. killing the priest at Nob. um, We've got the, uh, the shameful deaths. And, you know, I'm not even going into all of it. I'm just pointing it out because... You know, we've got to remember Judges is a prophetic book. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've said that in the last episode, but it needs to be brought back to our attention. It's a prophetic book. The problem is not with having a king. The problem is having the wrong king and the king that's not serving God. Mm -hmm. And so. Yeah.
1: And I I do really find it interesting that the the, the people are, uh, you know, the people are saying, give us a king. mm -hmm. I mean. And, and, and I do think that's probably more of what happened, because like I talked about last time, that, you know, there's kind of the one version of the story where Avimelech was like, hey, you know, let me, let me help you out. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, what's the, brothers? Jotham, Jotham. sorry, can't remember his name. <laughs> then Jotham being like, no, we all know that's not how it happened. I, to me, that's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to take a lot of convincing for <laughs> someone to get me to believe that that's not what's going on there. Um. and and if I'm wrong, that's fine. But, um, but you know, the, the people say, Hey, come rule over us. And I do think it's funny how so often we hear so many sermons about people saying, you know, one of the biggest problems with people is they want to be God. They want to be in charge of everything. They want to be calling the shots. And I'm like, have you, you know, I, I, I don't know. And I guess, I don't know, maybe it's just that, that, uh, a lot of people who prepare lessons are like that. Uh, maybe they do have that personality that seeks power, but most of the people I know don't want to be in charge of anything. <laughs> right? I mean, it—it's. It, uh, I'm far too lazy. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's that, and there's there's like I've got my own stuff to manage. I don't want to be in charge of <laughs> other folks. I um So I I do wonder about those conversations. Like, have you talked to anyone who's not in leadership about this? You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just curious. Um, so that's, I, that's just a kind of I say that in jest. it's just kind of a funny aside that I, I, thought
0: well, of. I know personally, anytime I've had a quote unquote leadership position, it's because God's kind of just shoved me through that door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and part of that's me going, I don't know if I'm. Qualified or you know that that imposter syndrome that that likes to creep up on people right right. or um you know like i said i there is a lazy part of me and i can barely manage my own stuff Uh, why would i want to try to manage somebody else's so (laughs) but anyway back to abimelech uh so he dies and when he dies his armies scatter Uh, but Verse 56 um, is very interesting because it says, thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he had committed against his brothers in killing his, against his father and killing his 70 brothers. So the writer's very clear that Abimelech is, he's died, not because he was king, but because he killed his brothers and he rebelled against his father. Mm-hmm. And that was his primary sin is rebelling against the father. Now, I could not, um, I I couldn't talk about this without bringing this into the the mix. Is now we've got our divine council connections, because Gideon's already been connected with the Canaanite god of El. Mm-hmm. Uh, El was the creator god. Uh, Gideon created a sacred space. Mm-hmm. Uh, El had seventy sons. Gideon had seventy sons. So the writers already. Formed those kind of connections to the original audience. They would have seen it right off the bat. And the thing is, El kind of falls out of favor. Uh, he was one of the original Canaanite gods. And El's son becomes the main god by killing his brothers, specifically chaos and death, sure. mm-hmm. Um, And Baal displaces L as the primary god. And 70, we come back to that number. It's an important number because it is not only the number of Baal's sons, but it's the number of nations listed mm-hmm. in Genesis mm-hmm. 11. It's the number of nations allotted in Deuteronomy 32.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it, and most historians will tell you that the divine counsel of Yahweh is mirrored in the divine council of El. Okay, so for some people, this is a huge problem. It, it shouldn't be. If we're talking about a spiritual entity, El being a counterfeit God, a spiritual real being, he would have known what Yahweh's divine mm-hmm. counsel looked like. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a simple solution. There, there's no need to get all up in arms about it. This is not one religion ripping off another. Uh, it's particularly not Judaism ripping off Canaanite religion. Well, and, and
1: something else to point out, too, um, and this is more just kind of back to our Bible, the Bible's mm-hmm. not a fact book. Right. Um, you know, we, we understand that the earth consists of more than 70 nations and did consist mm-hmm. of more than 70 nations at the time. Right. But the numbers involved are symbolic to, to make a theological point and not a factual point.
0: Absolutely. And, and we need to remember that with any number in the Bible, um, sometimes they are literal. But when we start talking larger numbers, we're usually talking, uh, like you said, the symbolic numbers. Now, because there is this connection between Gideon and El and Abimelech and Baal, we, we kind of have this threefold um, unfolding of, of the story kind of occurring. Okay, so you can read it just surface level. You can read just what's on the text and you can read the story, kind of mm-hmm. go through like we did. And um, where Abimelech's defeat is based solely on his violence against his father and the killing of his siblings. Then you can bring in the Canaanite perspective. So that's the second aspect that's unfolding um, with Baal and El Mm -hmm. and the victories of Baal being based once again on rebellion against the father and the killing of the siblings. And, but the, the third story is where it gets really interesting. Okay. Okay. So the third story is the one that the enemy could not see coming the one that blindsided evil all over the earth. Mm-hmm. And it's the story of what happens when the son honors the father and dies so that his siblings can win. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, obviously I'm talking about Jesus there. And so Philippians uh, two, two, through, uh, two, yeah, 2 through 11 talks about how, you know, Jesus' death was for our salvation. And it's so that we could be co-heirs with, with Christ. Uh, So what was it? Two, two two through
1: 11. Um, are we going to read that whole thing? Uh,
0: Yeah, I just wanted to throw it out there so we can let people go back and read. It's also again in first Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. Okay. So, you know, the Bible picks this up and, and reverses what every nation of its time and culture knew to be true. They knew that to ascend to a power, uh, to the most powerful position as God, as the creator, as the ruler of the universe, you had to overthrow your father. And the Bible is the one that offers the contrary, full reversal in, in our stories. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and it's also kind of interesting because you, you have the, it reminds me also of, of Paul. We're saying, you know, I think it's Paul wrote, you know, Christ didn't see uh uh, divinity is something to be grasped, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, kind of parallels that idea as well.
0: Absolutely. And whereas
1: you, you have these these greedy characters trying to set themselves up as uh, the the new god in charge,
0: precisely. And,
1: and Jesus says, "No, that's not how it works."
0: Mm-hmm. And, and and I think that we need to appreciate you know, if Christianity did not become one of the defining narratives for uh, Western civilization imagine what our culture would look like. It, it, it's the idea of submission to, to your father and, and love and respect for your siblings it is so normalized in our day that we find it shocking that Abimelech would go kill his 70 brothers. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we forget that as, you know, as a, a race, we have progressed so far. And part of it's because we have stories that are so graphic and so violent within our, our Bible that say, hey, there's a problem here. Don't act like this. And what, what the Bible's really doing, what the writer of Judges is really doing here, he's showing us that the people of Israel at this point have become so Canaanized, they've become just like their Canaanite neighbors, mm-hmm. that they're star- starting to look and act just like them. And the The other connection between all three of these stories is women play a pivotal part. And so you know we saw that with Abimelech, the mother and the woman who crushes the skull with the millstone, Baal, his sister or lover or both, um is the one who saves him from death. Mm-hmm. She's the one who rescues him. And then, of course, we have Mary, who becomes the one that Christ is born, uh, to whom Christ is born. Uh, and we have the women at the tomb. Mm-hmm. And so, Women become very instrumental in these stories to fulfill these purposes. And, you know, we discuss this a lot for anyone who um, didn't listen to our, our teachings on Deborah, Go back and listen to that because we, we did go into this um, from a little different angle. But I think the two work very well mm-hmm. to show you what the, the writer of Judges is doing. But overall, basically, this story is a warning. It's, it, we're going back to the fact it's a prophetic book. And it's a story. Don't be like the Canaanites. Don't rebel against your father. Don't kill your siblings. Don't treat women badly. This is not appropriate for God's people. And, you know, it wasn't just the leadership in in Canaan that was acting this, specifically in Shechem, Mm -hmm. because nobody rose up. Nobody said this is wrong. There is no prophetic voice until we get to Jotham. And that's, you know... He, we see him as someone who's been deeply impacted by this event. And so verse 57 says, And God made all the evil of the men in Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of jerubbabel So here it is. Jotham was prophetic. He was operating in that prophetic voice because God made his words come true. Right. And, um, you know, we, we talked about that at the beginning, the writer kind of left us hanging without any specific uh, confirmation that Jotham was being prophetic and his words came true literally that the fire came out of Abimelech and it was in the midst of this fire that Abimelech was killed. Mm -hmm. So now one other little, um, connection which i thought was interesting unless you had something to add before we got there okay so you know i I had to go to enoch when i got the chance yeah because (laughs) like the book or just the the book no i didn't go visit him or anything well that would be cool
1: no i meant like (laughs) the biblical reference to him uh yeah but you're you're talking about first enoch
0: i did go to first enoch um and now one of the ways to use uh second temple lit is to read it as a commentary on the Bible. Mm-hmm. I, I don't recommend reading it. And I always have to put this co- caveat out there. Don't read it as inspired. It's not. Right. Uh, it may have, you know, it may have been at one point, but it has not, um, enjoyed the privilege and luxury of protection by being canonized. Um, uh, some of the stuff out there is just really off the wall, and there's definitely no way that it was ever intended to be a part of the Bible, but it does help us understand how people thought about things. Sure. So, um, this is kind of a long part I'm going to read here. Um, this is Enoch 10, verses 11 through 15, mm-hmm. and because uh, for those of you who haven't read Enoch, it is divided up in chapter and verse, just like your Bible, so you can find these things. And so, it begins, and the Lord said to Michael, "Go to Shemaziah and, and his associates, and have who have united themselves with women." Now, this is the main angel who um, led the the watchers to take wives from humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So God's saying, "Go talk to him, and go talk to the angels who joined with him." So they united themselves with women, so as to, so as to defile themselves with them all and their uncleanness. And when their sons have slain one, each one another, and they're talking about the Nephilim here, mm-hmm. the sons, and they have seen the destruction of their beloved ones, bind them fast for 70 generations in the valleys of the earth till the day of their judgment that is, in, that is forever and ever is consummated. In those days, they shall be led off to the abyss of fire and to the torment and the prison in which they shall be confined forever. And whosoever shall be condemned and destroyed will be from thenceforth be bound together with them to the end of all generations and destroy all the spirits of the reprobate and the children of the watchers because they wronged humankind. Okay, so some key phrases here. Women.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When the sons have slain each one another. Mm-hmm. Got, I cut that one. Yeah, yeah, got 70 generations. Yep. Abyss of fire. Okay, yep. Wronged God's children. So the, the sin of the watchers, when we... Got to remember that's when the angels came and took wives as they pleased, Mm -hmm. and we this is considered to be in Second Temple that one of the main reasons we have evil in our world, not just Genesis three but Genesis six, Genesis three, Genesis six, Genesis eleven. All three of these events play together to explain why we have battles and spiritual warfare, evil problems that exceed what just humanity might come up with on its own. Mm-hmm. And so the sin of the watchers is what produced the Canaanite nations. This is what gave birth to those Hittites. And uh, specifically for our story here, uh, it, the, the Hittites were the ones who founded Shechem and Gael based his claim on the rule being, it uh, was based his claim to rule on the fact he was a direct descendant from the Shechem's founder, Hamor. Mm-hmm. So this is, we talked about Hamor as a rapist or his, the father of a rapist. And so we're starting to see these connections with the Rephaim and the Nephilim and the, the watchers being rapists and all of this violence being the product, the product of the spiritual warfare. Yeah. And the, the children of the Watchers were extremely violent. Uh, they, they sinned against humanity, the creatures of the earth, I mean, right down to birds, fish, and reptiles. We don't know what that sin was, but Enoch cites this. Okay. Um, they, they sinned against each other to the point of cannibalism. And so these are extremely violent people that gave rise to these nations that were inhabiting Canaan at the time of Judges that mm-hmm. should have been driven out. And so, when God's people start acting like the Canaanites, they aren't just acting like the Canaanites or neighbors; they're actually acting like the children of the Watchers.
1: Got gotcha. you. Yeah.
0: And they're saying that you know they're identifying with those angels that rebelled, and, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. this is where the problem comes in, and this is the reason why God is so adamant that these sins have to be addressed, because He can't have His children acting like the children. Of the Watchers,
1: and like sons of Blial,
0: yes. For example, exactly. <laughs> and and that's and you know and this this theme does continue into the New Testament when we're talking about the sons of God, and the sons of light, and th- this is this is huge. And to me, this is really it's convicting because when you think about how evil the Watchers were and the repercussions of all of this these stories and the fact that God seems to be so passionate about rooting these these kinds of behaviors out, mm. then it really makes me think about for myself: who am I representing? And, and not in the churchy cliche way. I mean, it's it, it's deep. Yeah, you know, who who do I look like?
1: And well, it 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 makes sense that we're now part of this. Uh, this, I mean, I I, I don't want to say battle. Mm-hmm. Necessarily, because I do feel like that
0: gets overused. It Gets
1: overused, but it, it it is we we are connected to this narrative now. Yeah, has been going on for for centuries.
0: Yeah, it, and what's really weird about it is by having this divine council worldview, we're both less important as human beings and way more important as human mm-hmm. beings mm-hmm. simultaneously, and it, it seems contradictory but i I think it's more of a paradox than Uh, a contradiction well
1: um, you know i think a a more clear way to say that might be it 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 adds importance uh but uh reduces narcissism (laughs) right because i do think there is kind of a narcissistic view to the way humans i mean i mean who who's not going to argue that that humanity as a race is kind of narcissistic. I mean, pretty much every worldview regardless exempts humanity from all the rules we give to the rest of nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter which one there's, there are, we, we exempt ourselves from it. So, um, but no, it, it takes us from being, because, you know, if you, if you think of, you know, we tend to think of the spiritual world, where there's kind of this anomalous swirl of, bleh, yeah. we don't even know, you know, <laughs> right. And, uh, but you know, when we read the when we we read the Bible, and I, I love uh, uh, Tim Mackey was talking about this. He, we see, we read the Bible, and the English translation is in the beginning, mm-hmm. and a better translation would be when God began creating the earth, mm-hmm. as opposed to. The beginning is a fixed point in time. Right. And the idea of like when God finally got around to making the world. <laughs> you know, because I mean we, we tend to think of, you know, God's just kind of sitting around in eternity past by himself, playing I mean, Parcheesi. By the three of himself, hanging out. <laughs> um, uh, doing nothing until oh, I'll make humanity. Right. And it, that's a really myopic and narcissistic view of, mm-hmm. of things. Right. And so whenever you do look at the fact that there are other beings in the spiritual realm that have interacted with God before we ever got here, um, you know, it really kind of goes, oh, we're not the only people in the room.
0: Yeah, well, you know, if we as human beings can't spend, stand to spend more than 10 minutes without being entertained or distracted in some way, and, and we've got finite, limited minds, mm-hmm. come on, we're talking about an infinite God here who's existed for eternity. You can't tell me he was content sitting around and doing nothing. I yeah. mean, <laughs> well, I mean, and I don't
1: realize the Bible's not a technical manual, but I do. I think they're... I think there is a possibility that we're not the only universe he's created. I mean, surely he's made some others that are Uh, just as entertaining as this one.
0: uh, Yeah, well, I mean, he's at least had the thought. I mean, mean, you know, who who knows? And then we get into the idea of how... How powerful are God's thoughts? We know how powerful His words are. His His words create things. Definitely. What What does What do His thoughts do? Well, I
1: mean, I mean, you can really get into a whole lot of that. I mean, it's yeah. Well, and, and again, literal words? Yes, no, right? Um, a figure of speech that the writer of the Bible is using to to make a point. Yeah. Um. So, and
0: yeah. all these things, there's there's no definite answer, and we aren't suggesting that we have one. No, this is all just speculation. <laughs> and, and the reason why I love to speculate is because it makes me realize how limited I tend to be about God. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, most of our limitations do come from our language. And that in the beginning, I mean, and so often, a lot of people go in the beginning. Well, we must be talking about God's beginning too, right? And no, it's not it's our beginning and we need to be okay with that. And, you know, back to that Heschel quote, you know, the Bible is not man's book about God. It's God's book about man. Mm -hmm. And so
1: I'm still, I'm still kind of laughing that you think that someone might think we have the answer to that. Well, I mean, multiverses. So
0: I no, I, okay. So (laughs) because I have spent a lot of time on the internet interacting with people in theological matters, some people make the mistake of thinking I know a lot more than I do. And so I know people make that mistake, and I love them for it because it makes me feel good. But at the same time, I feel sorry for them if I'm the smartest person they think they know. Uh, I assure them I'm not. (laughs) No, I assure them I'm not. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the smartest person, you know. Seriously, okay, but (laughs) I didn't mean to be harsh. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, (laughs) so I love everyone, and I like some of y'all. Uh, So, (laughs) all right, um, but in the middle of all of this, what I think is just so amazing um, is Jesus reverses it all. And Mm -hmm. and I know that seems like a given, but he is the son of the true God. Not only is his father king, his father is the king. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the woman who participates in his story at the beginning is not taken she, she accepts the invitation. She rejoices over the, uh, the invitation. And it's the exact opposite of what the Watchers do. Right. It's the exact opposite of what the Hittite men do. And instead of killing his brothers to ascend to power again, he lays down his life so that his brothers can rise in power with him mm-hmm. and his sisters. I include that. Um, family. Yeah, his family. Uh, the fire does not consume the children of God's kingdom, the fire serves as protection. For God's the people in God's kingdom, mm-hmm. revelations twenty seven through fifteen. Um, let's go ahead and look at that one right quick. Um, if I can actually
2: read my Bible.
1: Do you have it there?
0: I do. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them for battle. Their number um, is like the sand of the sea. And they beloved, and sorry, the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and, suffer, and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So fire becomes not the means of judgment for God's people. It becomes the way of escape for mm-hmm. God's people. And you know, so Jesus, Jesus' reign is directly counter to Abimelech. And it reminds us that kingship is not evil, but having the wrong king is dangerous. And so on, only a king that is appointed by God is worthy of ruling his people, and only a king who serves God will save his people from destruction. And so that's what Abimelech teaches us. And it's amazing how it, it, it is so tied to that cosmic worldview. And it's yeah. so much bigger than just one person or even a single city or country. Or
1: even just 70 brothers.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that 70, you know, the, the 70, in, when we put it into a scriptural perspective, that 70 nations, that's all of us. That's the fact that the world uh, the, has been invited to participate in God's plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. It, it's not reserved for a single people alone. It's not just for Israel alone. It's for all of us. And so i it's, it, this story so much better when yeah. you plug all that in. Yeah, that's wild. So that's what I've got. Unless we, I mean, how much no, we're, time we're, we got?
1: We're right about right on time. Okay. Well, then so we can. We're, yeah, we, we're like 2 minutes under an hour so 58 minutes so works that sounds good um well everyone thank you so much for joining us um we're glad to to have you here we hope you're enjoying our the judges series um if you want to be part of the conversation as always we are still over at raven creek sc on all the social media uh it's twitter facebook instagram um if you uh, google raven creek social club you can find us mm-hmm. or ravencreeksc.com takes you to our website by all means, visit there, check out some of the other shows. We've got uh, Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington, and we also have um, Commentarians with Joe Zaragoza. Great show there. Um, that one actually has a few different hosts, but we give <laughs> Joe credit for it because it was kind of his brainchild. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: he just lets us play in his yeah, playground. He, <laughs> yeah, he just lets
1: us yeah lets us mess with it. So anyway, um, that being said... Um, Feel free to come back and join us next week and uh, hit us up again. Be part of the conversation if you have questions. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash SC. As always, thank you for listening
1: and don't forget to join us next week.